This is Coda Radio, episode 184 for December 21st, 2015. Welcome to Coder Radio, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly talk show taking a pragmatic look at the art and business of software development and related technologies. This episode is brought to you by our two fine sponsors, DigitalOcean and Linux Academy. I'll tell you more about those great sponsors as this here show goes on. My name is Chris, and we have something special in store for you this week. Unlike previous years, we thought, let's put together a little project, something special for the audience. So this year, we're doing a retrospective on some of the major topics that we discussed. And then when we come back on the 28th with a live show, we're going to do a little bit of a retrospective on those topics. So this is sort of like your homework episode, so you can kind of be up to date on them with us and kind of re-listen to some of them if you've listened to them all year. And if you haven't had a chance to hear all of the episodes, some of those will be covered here. We'll also be covering additional stuff uh, and, and other things we sort of want to color in on the episode coming up. But we thought this would be a great way to sort of prep you for it. So I have selected a bunch of different clips throughout the year, just the year of 2015, from the Coda Radio program that I thought would be great to revisit. So either we can A, talk about them later, or B, give you a little bit of information about them next week to kind of, you know, see where things are at and what our opinions are, are of those topics now since these episodes originally aired. The discussion of how much developers are earning and actually making took an interesting twist and turn this year. In episode 137 of the Coda Radio program, we actually got real numbers on how much developers are actually making. Well, you know, we should probably start with the monument value. Yeah, I it's know. Got, it's You're got right. a graph and a color chart. You're right. You're right. But I just yeah. loved what he had to say. I thought it was... I thought it was so funny because it really does feel like you're getting a peek into... Yeah, I want to see my underwear drawer is what he said. Yeah, yeah there you go. Because that's what we're doing. Uh, Monument Valley, massively successful game. I mean, have you played it? It's great. I actually do like it. it it's funny because I didn't think I'd like it, but... It's fun. I it's relaxing. Yeah, and, and they did something that most people don't do. They actually said how much money they've made and yeah, things it, like that. It's a little trippy, though, right? Like, it's a little, you know... What, well, the game? A little zenny? Yeah. A little, uh... Let's just say I imagine it does very well in Colorado and Washington State. <laughs> maybe so. Maybe so. It's very peaceful. Is what it is. Yeah. It's a sit back and just sort of zen out and play. So let me break this down for you. So they have this beautiful chart, which I think is in the chat room somewhere, um, about it says Monument Valley in numbers, right? So they've had lots of sales. It's too much, really. Uh, I I kid, I kid. And they break it down by platform and by uh, distribution platform. Mm -hmm. So who's the top dog, Chris? Come on. 81.7%. Who's there? iOS. Every time. Yeah. Who's who's in second with a depressing 13.9%? Google Play. And who is, you know, showed up to the race and fell down at the starting line? Amazon. Now, what's really interesting about that Amazon figure, though, they sold, as in paid, right, some amount of money over zero, 92,000 roughly uh, licenses on Amazon, right? We'll, we'll say volume licenses, whatever, units, let's call it, right? But when it was the free app on Amazon, 407,000. That's horrible. You know what actually was thinking is even worse? And it's just, it's just Microsoft's just not even in the, in the conversation. Right. There's no like winner. Well, I don't think it was ever released for, for anything else. No, I know, I know. Yeah, it's pathetic. In fact, uh, there's another chart here if you look at revenue over time. iOS release, it, like it's the highest thing on the chart. Android release is is their Android release is lower than some of their sales or new updated content on iOS individually for iOS. I yeah. mean, there is a you know not to put on my my uh, evil businessman mustache and twirl it. There is a really sound argument if there was to be like a Monument Valley two to just be iOS here, right? Yeah. I mean, because what I I would love to see the counter to this chart. What percentage of your cost? And your effort went into each platform and each platform. Uh, platform as an iOS versus Android platform, also as in vendor, right? Because remember, the Kindle is Android, but it's a little weird. This is, uh, I mean, so devastating. This is crushing. Like, the, like they could, 
I, I, I would love to be behind the scenes with the Monument Valley guys and just ask them after getting them drunk so they would share this. Like, honestly, V2, you're not going Android, are you? And you're I, just not. I, I, so – and here's the thing is like this isn't like a uh, like an arbitrary game that nobody really heard of. This was – this, this game was I, – I personally saw it very well featured in the Play Store. Yeah, it was. And, and, and if I hadn't already bought it on iPad, oops – I might have picked it up on my Nexus 7. Is that right? what it is? Do you think maybe that's what it is, is that it was no, out six I, months? I don't think that's it. I think because most people, the most non-super nerdy dev people, aren't going to have two tablets. and Yeah, I phones, agree. Right? I agree. I just wanted to give them a, an excuse. No, I, well, this isn't their fault. I mean, what are you, are you trying to suggest that they don't know how to market to the Android market? No, I don't know what the, I don't know what the excuse is because everybody's been telling me that uh, Android is becoming a uh, first-rate gaming platform. You know, I'm going to quote one of my past clients here, but Mike, Android is for poor people. Just get it to run. Oh my god! Yeah, literally, I shit you not. Really? Yep. Just, the bar for Android was get it to run. Hi, Bailey. My dog is an Android fan. He's very upset. He walked out of the room now. Well, and that is, I, I you know, uh, I think that may be true for a certain range of the market. That you know can only afford you know they're not going to go buy a high end phone that has a decent GPU. Uh, it just seems like the it, what it doesn't correlate is the numbers, the the distribution. It would seem like that would make it up. Uh, I look at this and I think to myself, will it be like this? This it, so will it be like this in 2016? Because I feel like we've been talking about this since – basically, this has been a popular comparison since really Google named it the Play Store. Remember when they kind of went from the Android marketplace yep. to the yep. Google Play Store? And then we really started making more of these comparisons because, ah, the Play Store, obviously, they're – you know, you're, you're selling games. It's to have fun. Now we're at tw- the end of – this is from the end of 2014. It doesn't seem like Google successfully, from this one case, moved the needle for, for developers over 2014. Okay, but so so it's not this one case is the problem, though, right? I mean, Monument Valley people have been very open and really put a lot of effort into these nice-looking charts. But this is kind of the anecdotal story we see all the time, right? Oh, we didn't make any money on the Android version, so V2 is going to be iOS. K, thanks, bye. Or maybe there won't be a V2, right? I... Now, devil's advocacy here, right? Monument Valley is a straight-up purchase. Right, you buy the app and then you buy the in-app purchase, which is an expansion, basically. Maybe that revenue model doesn't fly on Android. Mm, gosh, you know it's really damning. Yeah, is, I mean, that's, I'm that, looking at the Christmas sales. Yeah, go on. And the Christmas sales are just tiny on Android compared yeah. to they don't but even they makes, don't even break 20k. That makes perfect sense, right? Because when you know people are getting their husbands, their wives, their family gifts, and they want to get them a tablet. Guess what? They're getting them an iPad. I don't know. I mean, maybe people buy the, you know, they don't want to spend a lot of money on their some or others. Like, I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at this. So uh, on on iOS, they breached almost uh, 85K, it looks like. Yeah. Uh, and they didn't even crack 20K on Android Christmas Day. For Christmas only. They made a lot more money than 85K, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's damning because that, that, especially for a game, that's going to be... You know, that's going to be kind of it. What's also interesting is if you take a look at the bottom of the page, they have these awards that Apple gives, design awards and iPad game of the year. Google doesn't currently, to my knowledge, do anything like that. I think that helps. I guess it does, doesn't it? Uh, I think anything that you can put on your site and in your marketing materials that shows recognition to stand out from the other millions of apps is super helpful eight core team members based in london yep original eight hundred and fifty two thousand dollars forgotten shores five hundred and fifty thousand dollars the first one was in 55 weeks second one was in 29 weeks eight people gosh when it works it works doesn't it yeah i mean that's 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 fine, right? No one's going to cry about that. April 3rd, 2014, launch day. They made $145,000 in one day. <laughs> All right. So there's, uh, that's Monument Valley. It's a game everybody's heard of. Uh, should we talk about Overcast? Let's talk about Overcast, yeah. So uh, we, you might remember here on the show, Mike and I both reviewed Overcast. It's 
I think is this still your preferred podcast player? Yeah, it's my daily driver. Yeah, that. it is. It is my preferred podcast player too. Um, and it's even gotten better since we've talked about it. To Marco's credit, he's continued to make uh, a really good product. Uh, it's gotten iPad support now, which is nice, um, and uh, a few other things. Uh, so he has posted his sales numbers. For Overcast, uh, which launched on July 16th, 2014. He worked on it for full time for 15 months. He did it as a free download, and then it has a unlock everything upgrade tier in the app. So it's a free app with a $5 in-app purchase. It gives you things like uh, cellular downloads and stuff like that. As he puts it, he had a perfect launch. Uh, so as good as he says as an indie developer could possibly hope for with tons of great press, mid-Apple, uh, mid-level app store features, and thousands of tweets on each day. So uh, for calendar year 2014, 318, 966 total downloads, uh, 46,000, I'll just say 47,000 in-app purchases. So he has an in-app purchase rate of 14.7% of the people that download his app. So fourteen, it's about 15% of the people that download his app uh, unlock it with the $5 unlock. Total revenue after Apple's 30% cut is $164,000. 164000 that's, that's not bad. Uh, that's before any taxes, though, but before that's after Apple's cut. $85,000 earned in the first month of sales alone for Overcast. $85,000 in the first month. Uh, per month, excluding the launch month, since that was the outlier, 27000 about 30000 about 28000 around that range, average monthly downloads. 4,600 average monthly uh, in-app purchases. So he's actually got a higher rate than before. He's got a 16.3% uh, in-app purchase rate. And he's making about $15,000 a month selling Overcast, which he calls a sustainable business now. Yeah. Uh, $15,000 a month surely is. And what's interesting is now he has a bit of a Christmas bump in here, but you can see he's got – he actually posted, I think, the charts right from the uh, developer dashboard – and uh, you can see it, it almost got up to $100,000 on launch. It peaked, it settled around in October, but since October, his sales have actually been climbing again. Uh, and uh, including uh, in-app purchase as well. So it depends. It seems like if you nail it on the App Store, you could make yourself quite a good daily living off of it from these. Did anything about these numbers surprise you? I. You know, the 14.7% conversion rate, I actually was was surprised at. And it's actually now holding at 16.3% conversion rate. Right. Yeah, I was surprised by that too. So you figure 27,000, about 28,000 right. monthly downloads, and about 4,500 of that 28,000 buy it. Right. So you can get an idea of the kind of scale your app has to have in order to make money. And, if, and that's assuming you have a compelling reason for people to pay. Now, in episode 156, we had our post-Google I.O. discussion. And unlike years past, there was a bit of an elephant in the room on this one. I don't know if you guys remember this, but in 156, there was no doubt about it. This was Mike's victory lap. Maybe not. And there's also, there's also some interesting apps, third-party apps for Wear, that are much better than what's available on Apple Watch. Like uh, there's something called a Gold Swing Analyzer. And it's a golf swing analyzer, and it uses the wear sensor data in your watch. Wait, what? What? Never, is that real? Yeah, dude. It uses the sensors in Shut the watch, and it, and it analyzes your golf swing and feeds it back to the app and then teaches you how to golf better. Uh, crap. What? What? What's wrong? Nothing. Let's just, uh, yeah, great. Okay. Happy to see that. Well, I'm sure, I'm sure there's plenty of other opportunities on the market for that. <laughs> but it was God. demoed in the keynote. Uh, the guys uh, seem super stoked. <laughs> they say they have 4,000 apps for Android Wear. Only about a dozen were any good, though, in my opinion. Wow, we just saw the live execution of a project. Really? Yes, we did. No, I mean... I missed that part of the keynote. Oh, uh, boy. <laughs> you're kidding me. You should go... I'm serious. All right, I, I, that literally is what I was doing. Golf Swing Analyzer. That's what it's called, I think, is Golf Swing Analyzer. Chance uh, that it's like Larry's little cousin and it sucks. Yeah, I mean, well, it did look particularly ugly, if I recall. So this is not I'm buying an Android uh, powered smart home. This is I'm buying a Chris's IoT company smart home. This is an opportunity for uh, hopefully small businesses, but more likely evil conglomerates, to totally pretend like Android Brillo doesn't exist, make their own system. And you're absolutely right; it will not be interop, but. They will sell you the whole system. Right. And they will, they will leverage Brillo and Weave 
to create their product platform. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying I'm not going to be I'm not going to be buying something from Hughes and something from GE and something from Whirlpool and something Kirkland brand and have them all work together. Now, what what will probably happen is if you just like let's look at the computing market in the '80s, right? there's going to be smaller companies who are more aggressive and do decide to be compatible simply because they can't scale. That's their the edge. System. That's their marketing. That's their edge. Yeah. And they'll be a little cheaper, right? And that, that is, to me, incredibly exciting. But I, I've been waiting to have uh, – you know what? I'll use the Star Trek reference for you because I know you love it. <laughs> when I'm about to die in my spaceship – I want to be able to tell the ship to make me a gin and tonic. <laughs> yeah, I'm with you. I honestly have been even tempted by Amazon Echo a little bit for that. You know, hey, just, just be here in the Alexa? studio. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, Alexa, fix me a gin and tonic. Yeah, Alexa, although, play Coda Radio. Know, although I kind of want it to be sassy. Like I like how Siri's kind of like, don't talk to me like that. Yeah, that is nice. Yeah, yeah. Does Google tell you jokes? Uh, you know, I haven't. Because uh, Siri will do, do that, right? You can. So let's, let's see. Uh, okay, Google. No. Tell me a joke. Nothing, man. Nothing. Nothing. Really? I, sometimes it's, I remember when I first got a, a Siri phone, because my mother was very interested in it, I put it down on the table, turned on Siri, and just started hitting on Siri. Yeah. And she thought it was hilarious how Siri was shutting me down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Just, like, just like Google's all about the business. It don't have time for joking around. It don't have time for joking around. Although Cortana's good too. See, that's that's that may be the problem though, right? Um, you're part of this whole smart because I refuse to say Internet of Things. This smart revolution. I really think you need voice control, and you know, I think Apple has the tone the most right in terms of how it should operate, but they're the most limited. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Google does the most stuff, but it's kind of boring. Aren't we just Cortana. days? Oh, go ahead. Finish your thought. We're, yeah, we're days away from Cortana being cross-platform, if that's what you're thinking. Yep. Yep. Yeah, they I just announced Cortana, it for Android and uh, for uh, uh, iOS. iOS. Cortana may be the middle ground, but I, I don't see a lot of these types of companies that I'm envisioning signing a contract with Microsoft. And I don't see Microsoft wanting to sign that contract, right? Yeah. Because yeah. I, 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 you know, no, no disrespect, no... Uh, not dismissing Microsoft in this arena, but I, I don't see a lot of Windows 10 smart devices. Before we get into the rest of the show, I would like to thank our friends over at Linux Academy who have been amazing sponsors of the Coda Radio program the entire year. And if you haven't yet taken the chance to check them out, I invite you to go to linuxacademy.com slash coders. You'll get our special discount and then also, you know, you support the show and let them know you heard about it here. But the reason why I think Linux Academy has been such a great fit for the Code Radio program is they've really nailed that whole DevOps area where you just kind of get in a little bit and you realize there's a lot to learn here. And they've really nailed that approach. Also, the entire AWS platform, there's not a better way to learn it. Hands-on, real lab experience, self-paced courses with videos and downloadable comprehensive study guides. Instructor help is available when you need it. It is a really good platform for learning. And one of the things that I like is there's been big topics in my life that I haven't been able to wrap my head around until I came to Linux Academy. And they break it down in such a way that actually makes it seem like a tackable thing that I could actually go out and learn. It is a really encouraging thing to be able to see something like Ruby or Python broken down, broken down into a matter of hours. It's empowering. And Linux Academy is constantly expanding and improving. Throughout the year, they have added so many great features. I have a stack of things I have printed off that they have done, and it is really impressive. Uh, you know, in October, they launched a whole new upgrade to their infrastructure. They included – they launched a new learning tool that is really nice. It does real-time evaluations of how you are performing on the server when you're building something or setting something up, which is a very handy learning tool. They've expanded their instructor help. They've expanded their courseware. Their community has grown like crazy. It has been a great year for Linux Academy, and it could be, you know, the perfect time for you to get in there and start learning. So go to linuxacademy.com slash coders and check them out. I think it's a great experience for you. Check out their new graded server exercises, their updated nugget courses, which are great for deep dives when you have two or 60 minutes. You want to get in there and learn something. It's a great way to go. It's a really great platform covering the best technologies by people that are extremely passionate about those technologies, and that makes the difference. Go to linuxacademy.com slash coders to get our discount and support this show. And a big thank you to Linux Academy 
for sponsoring the Coda Radio program. Moving on, we have a couple other topics that fit in really well here, actually. So uh, the chat room and I were just chatting in between the clips about Mike's big, big switch to Ionic this year. It was a slow, interesting migration that he made that sort of worked its way into the show. And I did a little digging around, and I think the first spotting was in episode 164. But there's Ember, there's Backbone, there's all these other things. And it's not really... I know all you open source people are going to attack me now, but progress would be made a little better if we were all going in the same direction which is of course angular by the way <laughs> to trolling on i'll give you a great example and this was going to be the topic for today but i didn't put it in the notes the ionic framework um chris can just throw it on the chat room mm-hmm. the what ionic is it's an angular js html5 platform for developing mobile apps right this whole thing is basically you know it's got some tie-ins to do some nice fast animations uh you know just like every other web mobile platform does, right? So the animation is only like garbage. But it's based on AngularJS, and it brings you some of that data-binding magic. I can get a quick user feed done on this probably two hours. Mm. Fully done. UI, everything. This looks data, really nice. A whole bit. I like their slogan, uh, performance obsessed. Right, but development speed is amazing in this because they picked a lane. They said, you know what? If you're going to use this, you're using Angular, and everything is Angular. You right. bind everything. You write it once, you bind it. You, it's awesome. Now it has some problems, like all of these other cross-platform tools, right? Its biggest problem is that it's kind of not mature. Mm. I mean, it's more stable than many of its competitors. And under the hood, it's actually Cordova, so you're you're shipping a Cordova code, code okay. base. Okay. There's, of course, some issues. Right now, you have this big dependency on Angular. So, again, it's... Would you want to do that? However, I'm willing to gamble that if I did a native table view with images and an and a ionic table view with images, put them both on the same iPhone, and ask Chris to tell me which is which, he couldn't figure it out. Hmm. Scrolling. That's nice, oh. man. That's This is actually kind of exciting. The place where this falls down is, oh, you want some watch integration? Oh, well, sorry. Oh, really? Oh, because it's, you know, you got to do like a native tie-in thing. and Go like, figure. Go freaking figure, right? Things get weird. Um, <sighs> I, this is where we're going. Because in addition to this, they have prefab widgets, prefab templates that you can just come in, use them, and then skin them. Very visual studio. Yeah, stuff. yeah. Right. that does make – I could totally see that in mean, the way things this go. This is a mature market. I mean, you know, if somebody comes to you and says, I want an app. Okay, do you want a tab bar app? Do you want a side little – hamburger button thing or do you just want like a nav controller app they basically only have three options right i mean in tablet they have a few more but Mm -hmm. that's so there's no reason to constantly write that stuff from scratch i'm checking out they have uh so if people want to check this out i i um ionicframework.com and then if you go to ionicframework.com slash examples they have uh, code samples posted up uh, and they have a code pen demo which i'm looking at right now this is neat. It is pretty neat. <laughs> Look at this. <laughs> this is neat. All right, look at these guys. Oh, what the hell are you doing? Oh, I'm my. looking at their pull to refresh code right here. So I, spinners. Yeah, and, and I just, I'm looking at their pull to refresh sample code right now, which is nice. I like its bounce. It's got good bounce. That's really cool. I like that they show you it right there, too. You really can just jump in if you want to start conceptualizing. Or playing with it, yeah. Yeah. But this is my point, right? Not that everybody should go use Ionic, use whatever you want to use, but we're not in the days of, you know, getting back to a bunch of... Canonical can't ask people to go write things in QT or Go or Q or whatever. Mm-hmm. They can't ask people... What was it? Python, right? GTK? They can't ask people to write it in Python. They can barely ask people to write it in Mono because Xamarin effectively broke that you got to go with it. And, and the way it's going is the web. So if you want to support these smaller platforms, if you want to, you know, go where the puck or skate where the puck is probably going, yeah. you got to go the web. Yeah, and if you want to be fast, too, which sounds like is sometimes a big component of it, too, because it can also right. keep costs down. Right, development speed fast. Now, there are certain things that the web is totally inappropriate for on mobile, right? Like, you know, 
other media intensive things and things like that, you're probably still going to go native. One of the reoccurring big topics in our audience is the struggle to stay current and all of the issues around that and sort of the shame you can sometimes fall into. And I really enjoyed our conversation in episode 165 of Coda Radio, Keeping Current. And you started with, does tech get too old? As in, like, is it get too old by the time you learn it? Is that what you're implying? Well, you know, one problem uh, that I'm kind of overly obsessed with, I think, Mm. is general marketability, especially if you want to do contracting. Yeah, yeah. Because that's a lot harder than just getting a Or get a better job, or if if the current job goes bust, like you got to go somewhere, like how presentable are you? I I think that's pretty reasonable to always be thinking about that. So like one of the things I've been kind of kicking around is like, you know, Rails does what I need it to do mm. and what most of the people I I do work for and, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. And do you think it also, you know... Nine, like 99% of the time, but go ahead. It's It's got a brand to it, right? So it's, it's got a brand, but it's also, and this is kind of where I'm picking, you know, now that it's old, it's a little commoditized. And when I say a little, I mean a lot. I agree. So it becomes a lot harder to, one, fend off... You know, not to be waving my Donald Trump American flag here, offshore competition, but it, but it really does, right? Um, two, and as, again, this is going to sound terrible. Rails is almost too easy to pick up, right? To the point of, you know, there are these like three week Rails camps, and there's literally viable competition. Now they're not as you good. Think that, do you think that makes you vulnerable for replacement? Is that why you say that? I think it has. I think I think it has had a material effect, actually. Oh, okay. And that, you know, selling, if, if you're going into a new either job or probably more, again, my whole experience with jobs is not exactly perfect um, in terms because I haven't done that kind of thing in a very, very long time. Um, but if you're trying to, be, you know, be an independent contractor, do a dev shop, whatever, you're trying to sell this, let's say you're talking to, you know, someone who doesn't know you from Adam, right? You're going to do this beautiful, responsive design, Ruby on Rails, wrap application. It's going to cost them, I don't know, Chris, what sounds reasonable? Just give me a number. It doesn't really matter. Let's say it's $12,000. 12 grand sounds great, which actually sounds super reasonable, right, for everything, including yeah. responsive design. They're like, well, you know, we went on Upwork, or we went on Odesk, or Freelancer.com, and we could get it done for like 800 <laughs> Or there's this old cool kid who just got out of this Ruby boot camp who will do it for 4000 and yes, their project probably won't go well, right? And you know, Alex was in the chat. He hasn't been terribly uh, impressed with people out of boot camps. I would imagine that that's the case. Yeah. I haven't employed or in any other way supervised one of them. But again, they must have some value. The boot camp. Well, it depends on the camp. It depends on the on the student. If you're right. somebody who just needed a little boost and a point in the right direction. Great right. for you, especially if you're already if you're already pretty familiar with the concepts when you get there. If right. uh, you know, but if you, there's a lot of people that don't fit that description. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems it seems rough, right? So, so here's here's what Alex Bell is saying, and I, I kind of I kind of agree. Is is it does it does it matter if it's how commoditized the technology is, and does it matter more about the market you're playing to? Because anything with enough momentum will eventually get commoditized and any right. so that's that's a fair point right jc pennies can sell a t-shirt for twenty dollars but nordstrom can sell it for 50 yeah and it can be the same t-shirt yeah basically so that is a fair point um i think and, and that may be an issue with the way i've dealt with in the past lead generation things like that where i i relied heavily on you know because as you scale you need more and more and more and more and more in a bigger funnel and eventually, it's really tempting to go down market, which is definitely not a good idea. So maybe, but even if that's true, right, even if you stay up market, there's still a lot of rail shops. I mean, look at Dockyard, one of the one of the biggest ones. Well, they've now totally rebranded and moved away from rails because they couldn't close a deal at the rates they wanted. Mm-hmm. I mean, in fact, if I could dig it up, we can put it in after show. They had a, their uh, Brian the Senadella. Hope I said that right, or Brian. Uh, I apologize for portraying your name. <laughs> Has a great post on their blog about it was just getting ridiculous. I mean, they charge something. I don't know their exact rates, but it's you know it's it's substantial, right? It's two hundred plus an hour, which is very high. Yeah, but yeah. Again, that's the market they're in. 
and they're getting killed by people at like $75 an hour or 60 bucks an hour, which are more like individual rates. So their solution was to simply, they rebranded, they're now a Ember.js JavaScript design shop, which is a fancy way to say we sell people on how pretty things look, which is fine. Like I'm not, I think they're awesome. I'm not like beating them up or anything, but if you take that as just one case study, does that mean that, you know, look at all the big Ruby shops, right? Mm-hmm. There was Dockyard, there was ThoughtBot. Mm-hmm. Well, ThoughtBot's more a mobile shop than anything else right now. I mean, look at look at their projects, listen to their, they do their marketing podcasts and their blog. They're really, you know, what are they doing? They're pioneering open source Swift right now, right, with Argo and a bunch of their other JSON parsing stuff. Why? Because it's new and it's not, you know, there's not a million other competitors there. I'll let you jump in. Well, what I'm uh, <clears throat> see with over the, there's a couple of things that uh, are particularly challenging. If if this was a traditional market with a traditional commodity and good being built and assembled and shipped, it wouldn't. One thing that it wouldn't constantly suffer from as much, I would think, is everything constantly gets repackaged, recommoditized, and rebuilt into, into an easier turnkey solution as time goes on. And so what was when new things get introduced, it requires an expert and somebody who's just, you know, really a magician to make something amazing out of it. And those people have the first-to-market advantage, and they often set the pace and the tone for design and, and, and ideas and concepts. And then as time goes on, like, you know what, hey, I think back to... Uh, well, there's a couple of things. Like, uh, I mean, not to not to just to to, to to bang on this one too much, but like hosting and WordPress. Like now, now you can deploy a WordPress blog in like a minute, and there's like a dozen different ways online to get your right. own website up and going. That it, it used to it used to require that a business owner go out. Hire a web dev guy somehow, maybe through a word of mouth, maybe through a business referral group or Craigslist or whatever. That seems to be the common ones in my experience. And then bring them on, be insanely dissatisfied typically with the work because neither one of them could communicate properly. Right. And and then they would have this website that was not maintainable. It was some custom creation thing that would eventually fall apart. And it was on some sort of server somewhere. Now we have this we have a turnkey push button, an entire complicated CMS, very well developed, updated constantly, is now deployed for you, and it can be done by somebody who's really has no experience with the underlying technology at all. And so that keeps happening at every level in the technology field, in every t- single sector. So to me, it feels like a constant rat race. It feels very stressful. And that's why, like, I think we sit, sit here and we worry about skill rot and we worry about, like, do I have to constantly follow the shiny or should I do tried and true because I, you know, there's this c- consistent pressure of that that rides on top of us on these jobs. And I, even though we don't talk about it a lot, I think we feel it a lot. And yeah. what you're talking about here really makes me feel that. Well, and, and not to torpedo my own argument, though, I've definitely seen in my own experience, like, you know, once you go high enough up market, they don't care what the technology is anymore. They just want results. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So then all those problems of being bit into oblivion kind of go away. But it's really hard and more importantly, extremely expensive to be in that high market rate. I mean, your operating costs are, are absurd. And it's it's the whole positioning of your business. Uh, well, it's trade shows. I mean, a couple thousand dollars a ticket per person. You've got plane tickets. You know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, might, I might take another heart attack right now thinking about it. In episode 171, I spotted a little more ionic talk. As I was going through these clips, I realized you can start to see something unfolding in Mike. And he's a little secretive. He's only, He kind of doesn't come right out and say what he's working on. But we start to get some hints in 171. Yeah, it, it's definitely an interesting change. I mean, just for the people who keep asking, I am like an hour and a half, two hours away from uh, Disneyland or Disney World, rather. So what you're saying is, if I come, if I go to Disney World, I just got to take an hour and a half, two hour drive to come see you. No, I'll come visit you. We'll oh, go drinking go. around the world. So. <laughs> yeah, perfect, perfect. And I'm sure you'll be busy. What really happens is I'll get down there and be like, "Yeah, look, I really wanted to come out there, but I'm really in the busy, right in the middle of this Angular JS project. I don't have time for you." That's Sorry. almost exactly what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. too. you know that. <laughs> I know it. I can feel it. 
I can feel it coming. It's yeah, cool. So, so Angular, I have been, I have been knee deep in two things. One is Android native development, which is nothing special there. It's just you know the normal. You bought a, a tablet in Chinatown and it mm-hmm. doesn't work. And great. Mm-hmm. Um, but this Angular stuff I've been trying. It speaks to me, Chris. It speaks to you, huh? It speaks. It's got data binding, kind of. Not quite as, you know, super bound as XAML was, but a little more JavaScripty. Okay. They call it, I mean, they, they do bill it, don't they, as the uh, super, what do they say, the super heroic JavaScript framework or something like that? Yeah. Like, and to, and to be fair, I'm actually using Angular through um, what's called NJ Cordova through Ionic. Oh, okay. So it's, it's oh, kind okay. of interesting. Three Ionic, levels. Huh? Okay. Of, yeah, three levels of abstraction here. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say, you can quote me on this, and you can send me angry hate mail. This is probably the way most apps are going to get made. You think so? Certainly by me. It. it I did j- just like basic stuff that used to be a pain in the ass in phone gap, like you know, animated slide menus, things like that. Went great in Ionic. Um, the Angular factory model, the Angular data binding, saves you a whole lot of time. Like a ton of time. Scrolling performance is pretty decent. Obviously not as good as native. Um, really, it, it is a, a way to develop mobile software. And of course, because it's Angular, right? You could do desktop software that is using straight Angular. Yeah. Hmm. That makes a lot more sense to me, to the way I think. Versus many of the alternatives. What's the right? main advantage you're kind of getting? Is it is it a, is it a doing something that used to be sort of a tedious task and making it more of a straightforward like approach? That way, it's just well, like the, I can just bang this out. Or right. Well, the first advantage is, you know, sometimes, fairly often, someone says they. A lot of people want PhoneGap, right? They want HTML5 um, for their mobile app. So you're already discarding double native as an option, right? Ionic and Angular give me a way to not ship them garbage that I really appreciate. <laughs> and I mean that in a, in a very like general way of like, oh, when I open the slide out menu, it doesn't, you know, lag. So I'm curious, like, uh, I mean, I, I'm, I'm impressed, you know, that you kind of jumped into it because I think a lot of times when we've talked about uh, these frameworks, you know, it's kind of been like a, uh, framework du jour. It's like there's yeah. which one do you jump into because there's so many different ones out there. What what? How did you decide to land on this one? I mean, now that you obviously you're into it, you can see the benefits. But what drew you initially to well, that? I, I think there were there were two things because you remember a while back I was really uh, really trying out Ionic, uh, not Ionic. I'm sorry, Backbone JS. Yeah, right? okay. Um, Backbone didn't get a lot of traction. People are using it, but it's not doesn't have the level of adoption as Angular. So there's for lack of a better term, a marketability of Angular that Backbone may not have right now. Sure. Um, the other thing was, a lot, you know, I just, e- even like doing a project for myself, a website or a web application, not having a front-end JavaScript framework was getting, I was rewriting a lot of the same things over and over again. Or, and in, in, in all honesty, I was, basically rolling my own framework at some point. That's what you end up doing, right? Right. Yeah. And it was it just seems silly, right? People have solved all of these problems. Right, yeah. Um, I really wanted to kind of get rid of jQuery where possible, which is another tidbit of mine because jQuery performance issues, things like that. Angular made the most sense. I mean, I, I did, to be fair, I didn't really give Ember much of a shot. Okay. Um, and I mean, the problem is we could name any noun and there's a JavaScript framework. Is that a watch buzz? Is that specifically? That is my phone. That's no, my phone. I, I was going to say, it sounded, it sounds, it sounds like a loose motor, Mr. Dominic. It's a loose motor on that thing. You need a good a tight. Motor. Let me tell you about the haptic feedback or whatever. <laughs> Taptic feedback. That's what it's called. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Actually, your phone interrupted. Do you have the Moto 360 still by, by the way, too? I do, yes. Of course, I don't have the charging station. Yeah, that is always the thing, isn't it? Isn't that? So, what uh, can I interrupt and ask you just conceptually? Like, um, what's the process of getting up and running with this? Like, uh, like, what did you have to set up? What did you have to install? Did you have to set up something on your server or, or Droplet or whatever? Like, 
What was that sort of getting started process for you? Was there an easy way to jump in there? Did you have to really invest? What happened? Uh, so with which specifically, Ionic or Angular? Let's well, go with Ionic. I was, thinking, I was thinking specifically Ionic, but whichever. Okay, so, it, you, you know, I mean, really, I installed it through Homebrew, and that was kind of <laughs> Nice, really? Yeah, I mean, it, it uses Homebrew, NPM. It's pretty, pretty easy to set up. Huh. Um, I think there might have been three or four terminal commands I ran. Maybe. Yeah, I was just looking on their. Uh, yeah, I was just looking on their uh, GitHub page well, here. To be fair, you have to have the iOS and the Android SDKs configured, which is a huge pain in the ass, yeah. especially especially for iOS. Well, so, yeah. assuming you're coming in with that done, it's only like three or four terminal commands. <laughs> that's not a bad. That's not a bad get up and started investment time at all. So that makes it easy enough. And so it looks like uh, it best supports iOS seven and above and Android four one and above right now on mobile. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So have you actually produced anything that uh, you you're actually pretty happy with or how far along are you with this? Um I'm I'm pretty far. I would say I'm I'm going into alpha on a few things. So it's one of those things where, you know, started too many projects, haven't shipped anything yet. Yeah, okay. So yeah. if people want to find out more, what would you recommend they do? Or do you have any more you want to add to it? Well, I I would add the one thing, right? Like go into at some point with all this JavaScript crap, it makes sense just to pick something and do it. Because every week there's going to, like, there's MeteorJ, right? There's going to be a whole, there's a new framework every week. And there's tried so, and trues like React. Come on, what about React? Come on. Oh, I hate React. I hate Reactive Cocoa, too. Don't even start me on that crap. Oh, <laughs> God. Uh-oh. Uh, let, let's take an object-oriented system, try to force it to be functional, and watch when it's weird. Ooh, hatred. Um... Yeah, I mean, I would say give it a shot. Obviously, Angular may not be for you. Um, I know a lot of people who swear by Ember. But and, and it's genuinely good across iOS and Android and on the web. Like, it's genuinely making yeah, something good. Is. Yeah, it's genuinely yeah. making something good. Yeah, keep in mind, right, Ionic only does mobile. So, so Ionic oh, okay, uses no, okay. Angular. Okay. Right, so there's okay. two diff- kind of two different conversations happening. Okay. Uh, so, but they are good. They, the apps it is making are good. They look native. They, they function well. Yeah, I think they function fine. They, they look pretty native, so it's... Um, hmm. I haven't been able to... If I didn't know, I don't think I could tell. A lot of life events were captured this year in different forms throughout the show, and hearing Mike talk about that really kind of makes me think about that. Something that's made a big impact on me this year, seriously, is our sponsor, DigitalOcean. Go over to DigitalOcean.com and use our promo code CODERDIGITAL and try out some projects over there. DigitalOcean is a simple cloud hosting provider. You can get started with right away with a $10 credit if you use our promo code Coder Digital. Get a $10 promo and just go try building a rig. It is such a fun experience. If you have very low, like like little experience to very high, you know, lots of experience, high-end experience, you worked with big rigs, trust me, there is something at DigitalOcean for everybody. If you want to just deploy a project or use it for your entire infrastructure, you can do that. You can get started in less than 55 seconds. And pricing plans... $5 a month, $5 a month for 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer. And use that promo code, and you get a $10 credit. They got a $5 rig, you guys, $5 for one of their rigs. And you can step it up and get a more powerful machine. And that interface is so nice. And they have a great, great API that lets you replicate the functionality of the interface, like one-click deployment of applications and deleting machines, transferring machines, pausing machines, backing them up rebooting them, all these kinds of things that you could just automate or take advantage of code that's already written. Use our promo code CODERDIGITAL and get that discount. DigitalOcean has been with us for more than a year, and it's because they're a perfect fit for our audience, too. We've really worked hard to work with our sponsors that we think, shoot, just about everybody listening to this show could find something to do with one of these sponsors, and DigitalOcean nails that. It is such a great resource for learning, for building, for deploying, for anything like that. And honestly, if I was back in contracting still... This would be my go-to system for building and spinning up systems and servers for people. I really like DigitalOcean. If you use that promo code, you support the show, and you get the credit. Thanks to DigitalOcean for their support of the Coda Radio program for the entire year. And thanks to you guys for using that promo code, building things. And, and honestly, really thank you to those of you who take the time to tell us the cool things you're building. Even if you don't think it's that cool, we still like to hear about it. You can always send it into the show, Coda Radio at jupiterbroadcasting.com. Use the promo code CODERDIGITAL and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Coder Radio Program. Speaking of life events, 
you remember when Mike moved to Florida? <laughs> I do. And it prompted this series of conversations on the show about does your location matter when you're a developer, when you're trying to run a business or when you're trying to get known or trying to land clients or just stay relevant? Does location matter? And I think initially Mike went into the discussion firmly believing that location didn't matter in the era of the Internet, Skype, Google Hangouts, Twitter, email, all of that. But in 174, after some reflection and a move to Florida that didn't work out so well, I think he changed his tune. In fact, you know, I, I don't think there will be another show from me in Florida, actually. No, really? Tell me about this. I, I'm back at BTHQ full time. That's that's a development. Uh, and uh, are you uh, so? <laughs> so you and I are just moving around like crazy, both of us. This is really interesting. I basically took like a two week vacation, mm. like, and uh, decided that Florida wasn't working for you. Yeah, that would be fair. Yeah, and, I mean there are hashtag reasons that aren't super relevant, um, but we could talk about them all fair. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I follow you. Uh, it's uh, yeah, you know it's. It's not really something that makes sense, yeah. Given tech, yeah, yeah. There is yeah. that. Uh, I mean, uh, there. You know, it's funny. Uh, I really got a sense of that when uh, I left Washington. I've I have been spoiled in the sense that I have grown up in the state that has Amazon, Microsoft, yeah. Boeing. Nintendo U.S. offices here, T-Mobile's U.S. Yeah. offices are here. And so I have never really not lived in a place that wasn't like a tech central place. But because I didn't live in Silicon Valley area or California, I thought I was removed. I and, kind of thought that way about like New York, New Jersey. And wow, was I wrong. Yeah. It, it, maybe it's a topic for another day, but like. No, I mean, I think this is actually. Yeah, I, it actually, maybe it's good to go into. You know, I think like, it is. Like just. Let's just say, like, mobile tech, it's, like, infiltrated, and even just, like, regular tech, right? Every business, everything down, or up here, rather, is is very, you know, even the ones that are, oh, they're so low tech, they're using ASP, whatever, you know, from X years ago. Mm-hmm. I saw, like, people doing POS systems on pen and paper. Yeah, so... I saw the- all kinds of crazy crap, like... Yeah, the so uh, now I'm going to just get my bias out of the way. I was going through Montana, Wyoming, North Dakota, and South Dakota. So these are not known for tech central places. But I think what still struck me, what was just so striking, um, some of the places that we stayed at ended up not billing us by accident. Yeah. Now that we, we corrected the mistake for them, but they didn't bill us because, well... The gal was in on her regular day off, and she wrote it down on the piece of paper, but the gal that was supposed to be working that day had her piece of paper with her, and since the names didn't go on that list, they didn't know we were staying at their facility using their water, power, and sewer. And uh, then we came back in just to say, okay, we're checking out. They're like, oh, we never even had you on here. No computers, nothing. No connectivity, nothing. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't wasn't quite that dark agey, but... Um, I, I did have a credit card swiped in the old carbon copy way. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, although there were there were pockets of technology where I saw a fair amount of iPads and Square for people that were just like leaping up to credit cards. There there was some of that, but the main issue I saw a lot is there's a lot of there's not very much connectivity, and um, for some for some networks there's zero co- coverage at all. There's like some te- cellular carriers I'm not very familiar with. Um, so uh, it is – so what I, what I took away from that is there is a difference in the culture, and I don't mean to stereotype, but this is just sort of my first impressions, and I hope to get, uh, broaden this as I take further road trips. But my first impressions were because they are so far removed from it, there is sort of an inherent dis, um, low value they assign it uh, because they get along just fine without it. It's not really something that is all that necessary. And when it becomes something that's not all that necessary, you find that people are not willing to really invest in it. So uh, an example I would see of this is yeah, we have free Wi-Fi and it was literally a Linksys router hanging from the ceiling at, at their shop. And what do you mean that's Wi-Fi? Yeah, if you just need to check your email or something, just walk over to the shack. It's fine. 
That's, there's no problem with that. There's no value in they don't they don't recognize the value in the fact that people need connectivity, you know, sort of everywhere. We need ubiquitous connectivity now. Not in their world. That's not something you need. And so when you come at it from that standpoint, I don't think you're willing to pay contractors as much money for services rendered or developers as much money for an application created. Is that your impression? You know, I I didn't really like do any kind of business down there per se. It was just interactions with people. Like I I will say when I told people what I did, a lot of people showed me their new phones, and it was like two years old. Mm. Um, I don't know why. I mean, I've, obviously, I can read you know the the statistics like anybody else. Like incomes are significantly lower in certain states than others. But having said that, you know, Florida also has Miami and Orlando and Tampa, which have a ton of money. I would say, in particular, the part I was at was very rural. Um, I mean, not anything against it. Like it was nice, you know, good food. I love grits, but that's a topic for another day. <laughs> yeah, it, beautiful um, often. Where I went was very beautiful. Yeah, for a whole amalgamation of, of reasons, it was better to cut your losses than to, than to try anything down there. Yeah, I would just – I come back to to me, and this is my first impressions, it was a cultural thing. It's not that – so you say, here's my new phone, right? Well, um, it's, right. it's just to them, that is a new phone because – by the cultural, that, right? to the cultural it. standard, it's it's well. It's by that cultural standard, it is, and I'm not saying it's a bad cultural standard. They probably live better lives, so more power to them. Yeah, I mean, people <laughs> seem much more relaxed. I'll mm-hmm, give them that, mm-hmm, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I would be careful about making any kind of statements of uh, comparison, right? I, I wouldn't want to do that, but I would say that I. I'm just a little too up north, stressed out East Coast, probably to, to ever effectively adapt down there. Now it's time to shift gears to a story I have a feeling we'll be expanding a lot more on in episode 185. Boot camps. Boot camps went big. We covered some of the stats and what we thought about it this year in episode 177. Uh, the coding boot camps are replacing computer science degrees, according to the CIO article at CIO.com. A 2015 survey uh, from Crew's report of 67 U.S. and Canadian boot camp schools found that the average tuition per program is just over $11,000 with an average program length of about 11 weeks. Compare that with the average cost of $31,321 for one year at a private college, and the tech boot camp seems like a great deal. Even a year for in-state students attending public uh, institutions can expect to pay over $9,000 per year, while out-of-state students can pay an average of $22,000 per year, actually almost $23,000 per year at public colleges. Richard Wang, the CEO of Coding Boot Camp, the Coding Dojo, says that the sticker price for higher education as it goes up he thinks consumers are really questioning the value and return on interest of their education, and he says they should be. You see headlines around millennials having a tough time landing a job, and you start to question if it's really worth it when there are so many other options out there. And the data supports this theory. The more students that are turning, there are more and more students turning into boot camps. The course report uh, predicts that there will be over 16,000 boot camp graduates in 2015. That's nearly 7,000 more graduates than in 2014, with revenue from the boot camp uh, tuition rising $52 million in 2014 to $172 million in 2015. So boot camps are exploding, and it's because higher education <laughs> is too expensive, and it's hard to really quantify the value for some students. Does this give you pause, or do you think this is going to work out okay? Is this the is this the market playing things out the way it should be and letting people hyper focus on an interest? Um, I, you know, I think that it's definitely the market at work. I don't know. You know, the the problem with talking about these boot camps is that quality varies wildly, right? I mean, really, college and a boot camp I don't think are particularly comparable because you're or at least you're not supposed to just be going to college to get a job, right? Right, yeah. I would see a boot camp as something you're doing it specifically to get a job. Mm, yeah. So, Good for point. instance, one of the ways I might create a boot camp rather than a college would be, you know, okay, do you have, like, an actual program with a large employer in your area? Because um, really... What are the possible effects of boot camps, right? 
like someone in the chat saying it could lower the average wage of developers. True. That's certainly true, right? If it creates more developers, supply and demand. But how do I know? I mean, if you were to hire a developer, how do you, from, you know, John's boot camp, how do you know that it's worth it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I guess you'd, the boot camp would have to have a certain reputation for producing a certain quality of student, which maybe only right. a few could achieve. So then you would essentially, those boot camps would become the more expensive boot camps, and you essentially create the same right, problem. Right, you're creating the same thing. Right, right, right. I mean, the, the, to me, there's a much more logical solution to this problem, hmm. and it's called community colleges. What right? about work experience programs, too? Like, You know, it is, I... Yes, but as someone who in the past had, you know, sought to hire lots of college grads or not college grads, um, those have fallen out of favor with the students themselves, many employers, the universities, by the way, and most parents. And I want to be careful of what I say here. Um, The idea of, you know, Dylan, in your case, going to a work experience program is not very attractive to you, just theoretically, right, as uh, you, the parent here. You would much rather Dylan just get a solid full-time salary job. Oh, I, I suppose. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I meant while he was in school instead of going into a classroom. going to. You know, it's super funny because a lot of schools are very picky about how they do that now. Yeah. They're pretty much um, not down with it i mean what about i'm I'm laughing because someone put puppy mills in the chat um about two years ago or maybe 18 months eh, two years i went to a certain for-profit university with um a colleague of mine and it was literally a puppy mill and i'm sure you've heard of this place they're on tv all the time they charge more than most private schools, mm-hmm. right? You, you know these places. Mm-hmm. They're, mm-hmm. they're universities, but they're private. Well, not private, rather. They're for-profit, right, which is very different from being private. Um, we interviewed, well, I don't know if I should, I won't name the name of the school, but we were very not impressed. I'll put it to you that way. And my colleague, we were walking out, the word he said, I've never seen a software puppy mill before. For the last clip I wanted to play in this sort of retrospective episode of the Coda Radio program, I had a lot of options to go with. In fact, this was my hardest one to pick. And I wanted to end on a note that I think represents a very important trend for our very own Mr. Dominic. It's his app developed with the Ionic framework being deployed to the Google Play Store. All right, Mike, are you ready to say? Here it is officially, ladies and gentlemen, right here on the Google Play Store. It's called Backpoints. And it's not what you expected, is it? Oh, did I say it wrong? No, that's right. Oh, back points. All right. And, I, and Mike, I got to say, I did not expect your first app to be a sports app, but damn, here it is. I'm pretty excited. So, yes, it's, uh, this is a little new for me in a lot of ways. One, we're launching Android first um, for reasons that, I don't know, I'm using Android. Android's a little easier to get on the App Store for, no review time. And, uh, yeah. The idea here is that, so if you're familiar with wrestling, not the crazy WWE kind of guys, but actual athletic wrestling, so think high school, college, that kind of thing, you can actually score and track your presumably child's, but you could do your own or your friend's, uh, matches and statistics during tournaments, during matches. May seem a little, um, let's just say, crazy soccer mommy, but actually it's kind of a big deal because like a lot of other sports wrestling, your record for the season is where you get placed in the tournaments, and in some cases, if you even qualify. So is this built using the Ionic framework like we were talking it about last indeed. week? indeed. Well, congratulations, sir. Congratulations. That's pretty cool. Very nice. Achievement unlocked. That's really nice to have it in there. Yeah, so it's um, that screen you're showing right now was a huge pain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, the, the, I'm, I'm happy it's out for obvious reasons. Uh, it is a free app, by the way. Now, the deal is you get it for free. You can track one wrestler for one year because, again, in wrestling, seasons aren't necessarily the same for every division. So we just give you the full year. 
Um, and then you can upgrade to up to five for four ninety nine via Google mm, Play. Yeah. Purchase. So you got multiple kids, or you want to track multiple somebody else's kids, or your yeah. your group of friends, whatever. So, uh, what what kind of? I'm curious to know about um, sort of the line of thinking that got you to sort of zero in on this area of the market. So there's a couple of things at play here, right? One, I'm trying something where we're going to focus on different segments of the market to put out more products, but maybe be a little more uh, MVP focused. Um, think about the difference between writing the 4,000th photo editor, right? Or writing something like this, which to my knowledge is the only thing of its kind on Google Play. And I did try to search. I think so. that's actually kind of brilliant. So what you're saying is instead of going for huge, huge numbers, uh, find a few niches that are w- worth exploring, create something that takes a certain amount of time that you can predict, and then see what happens. And maybe do – I mean this is – you know, what what this is, is this is an app that acknowledges pretty much everybody's got a smartphone now. And, right. and that means there's everyday things people need to think about that they would like their smart device to make easier. Right. I mean, I mean, just to kind of use a little jokey analogy, right? This app is designed for just regular people. This, you know, this is not going to get on TechCrunch. This is not going to be talking in a white room about the fluid aluminum design, right? <laughs> this is this is a, a I feel fairly well designed app for regular people who have a legitimate need. Um, I don't know if you know this, Chris, but wrestling, particularly youth wrestling, is a huge pain to actually score. And if you're really not into sports, a lot of these are. So if you have a hmm. child that's into sports, these kind of things can be very helpful. Yeah, no kidding. You know, uh, it's seriously, you know, when 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 my son has mentioned uh, sports a few times, I've been like, oh, boy, man, if he gets into this, so this is just not where my head's at. Like he's talked to me right. about football and baseball and things like that. And so far nothing's really grabbed him. But uh, if he was to get seriously involved with sports like this, I would be a little lost. I would probably actually very much like to seek out an app like this. And that brings us to the end of this retrospective edition of Coda Radio. I hope you enjoyed it. And I hope you have a great holiday. Don't forget we do the Coda Radio program live over jblive.tv. You can find the live times at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. And if you're not too busy enjoying your holidays or stuffing your face or unwrapping gifts or saying bah humbug, go over to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact and choose Coda Radio from the dropdown and email us directly. But please... Also visit that subreddit, coderadio.reddit.com, a great place for news stories for the Hoopla, projects for us to talk about, spotlight something you're working on, community interaction, feedback for the show. We'll have a thread over there for 184. All of it at coderadio.reddit.com. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Coder Radio, and we'll see you right back here next week. Next week.